0: Today is Monday, September 9, 2019. On this day in 1971, prisoners rioted and seized control of maximum security Attica Correctional Facility near Buffalo, New York. The bloody standoff between state troopers, prisoners, and hostages lasted four days and left 43 dead. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. Today we're going back to September 9th, 1971, the day radicalized prisoners at Attica Correctional Facility rebelled against their guards and took control of their prison. The riot and its appalling aftermath became a touchstone in the prison reform movement, but not before 43 men were killed. We'll begin on the walk back from the prison breakfast room, shortly before the structures of power at Attica were upended. It was around dawn in New York on September 9, 1971. the men had all heard the whispers the night before one of the prisoners hit a guard that didn't bode well for them retaliation waited around one of these dark cement corners any of the inmates could take the heat for that hit all of them probably they muttered softly to one another they were afraid but the men were also seething after months or years of deprivation They were hungry. Their unwashed skin was sticky with sweat, and many of them were coming off 60 days of solitary. They'd been found with copies of the Attica Liberation Faction's letter, demanding improved conditions. Suddenly, the doors slammed shut on either end of the long passageway. The men looked at each other. Their already tense bodies clenching like springs ready to burst. The guards leading them through the hall stopped short. The men demanded an explanation. They were sitting ducks in here. What was happening? They jostled against one another, trying to see the door. The guards were up to something. That door should be unlocked. This was it. Retaliation for that one hit here in A-Tunnel. A massacre in A-Tunnel. Tension filled the heavy, humid air like a wild storm about to break. The men were starting to panic, pushing each other, backing up or shoving forward. The guards, too, looked panicked, responding to the men's yells with strained shouts of their own. And then... One of the prisoners did it. He glanced to his left, his right, his eyes blurred by sweat dripping down his forehead. If someone was going to die today, it wasn't going to be him. And then he launched his body at a guard. That was all it took. The men seized keys and nightsticks off the guards. They exploded out of the hallway and spread throughout the prison like a vengeful fire, breaking down doors, unlocking cell doors, and burning down the chapel. They beat guards. They threw one, William Quinn, out a window. They killed three of their own. Attica belonged to the prisoners now power had switched hands. More than a thousand men were rioting, and the guards were at the mercy of their charges. But this new order didn't last. Within hours, state troopers flooded the prison with tear gas and cowed the prisoners into cells with submachine guns. By 10.30 a.m., the prison was quiet, except for Yard D. It was a large open exercise yard surrounded by gun towers and 35-foot walls. Standing in the middle of it was a tight circle of more than 30 blindfolded guards. They were surrounded by prisoners armed with knives and clubs. Hundreds of state troopers and law enforcement officers from around New York surrounded the yard as the prisoners, or prison keepers now, conferred at its center. Elliot James L.D. Barkley, a young, smart radical with only three days left to serve at Attica, made his way to the front of the crowd of inmates. He said his piece, The Attica Liberation Faction had tried to change Attica peacefully earlier that summer. They had demanded basic necessities like toilet paper and tried to explain that the prison guards no longer consider or respect us as human beings. They'd gotten solitary for their trouble. Today, September 9, 1971, was their chance. They had the state's attention. They had leverage. Those guards there, their oppressors. They had, finally, some power and a voice. They had to use it. They had to stick to their guns. The men agreed. Barclay would explain their position to law enforcement. And so the negotiations began. Barclay issued a statement. We are men, we are not beasts, and we do not intend to be beaten or driven as such. The entire prison populace, that means each and every one of us here, have set forth to change forever the ruthless brutalization and disregard for the lives of the prisoners here and throughout the United States. What has happened here is but the sound before the fury of those who are oppressed. We will not compromise on any terms except those terms that are agreeable to us. We've called upon all the conscientious citizens of America to assist us in putting an end to this situation that threatens the lives of not only us, but of each and every one of you as well." Barclay was confident in the powers of his oration. But he and the other prisoner negotiators knew better than to trust the state to listen to them. They didn't trust law enforcement as far as a stone's throw under normal circumstances, and they knew that now, for claiming their own power, they were marked men. They needed a civilian to serve as their witness, to hold the government accountable, a journalist, someone who could help them negotiate, bring in national press, make sure eyes were on them. They asked for Tom Wicker, a New York Times journalist, and one of the NSA's prominent left-wing surveillance targets in the infamous Minaret operation. He, they hoped, would get them out of this alive. At the end of September 9, 1971, that still seemed possible. Justice was in the air, the men whispered, huddling in their yard as the autumn chill fell. They went to bed shivering, but there were nervous, hopeful grins on their faces. Coming up, the prisoners at Attica are caught in the riot's horrific backlash. Now back to the story. On September 9, 1971, the prisoners at Attica Prison near Buffalo, New York, rioted, leading to the deaths of 43 people. Over the course of the next three days, negotiations inched forward, slowly and painfully, bouncing between law enforcement, journalist Tom Wicker and other civilian witnesses, and Barkley and the prison negotiators. Law enforcement agreed to most of the demands for improved living conditions. But on September 11th, the guard the rioters had defenestrated, William Quinn, died in the hospital. Amnesty was completely removed from the negotiation table. From there, discussions devolved into a stalemate. The prisoners didn't budge without amnesty. They were too certain of the consequences. On September 12th, negotiations collapsed completely when Governor Rockefeller announced to state law enforcement that it was time. Three days of negotiations had been more than enough. Take back Attica by force, he demanded. The inevitable subtext of that order was whatever the cost. On the morning of September 13, 1971, law enforcement negotiators read an ultimatum to the prisoners, surrender or die. Prisoners held knives up to the throats of their hostages. At 9.46 a.m., helicopters dropped tear gas into Yard D. Corrections officers, state troopers, and law enforcement personnel of all kinds fired 3,000 rounds into the haze of tear gas. They stormed the yard, many of them with personal weapons, and a deep, proud anger at the gall of these men, who thought they could overturn the system. They brutally killed 29 inmates and 10 hostages in the indiscriminate fire. They wounded 89 more men. L.D. Barclay was shot in the back once they'd regained control of the yard, and that was just the beginning. The bloodbath that concluded the Attica prison negotiations was followed by a flurry of lies by law enforcement. Many of the deaths, they claimed to the press, were the result of prisoners slitting the throats of the hostages, not the gunfire of officers attempting to retake the prison. It was also followed by a reign of terror within Attica. Corrections officers escalated their habitual brutality towards prisoners to new vindictive heights. They forced inmates to crawl naked through blood and broken glass, to drink officers' urine, and to play Russian roulette. They denied injured and abused men medical care, and 62 of the prisoners denied the amnesty they fought so hard for were charged in 42 indictments. But autopsies revealed that all the hostages died in the gunfire, not a single throat was slit, and slowly the truth about the prisoners' inhumane conditions and the guards' brutal treatment emerged. Many Americans were appalled. They took Attica and law enforcement's approach to the riot as examples of abuse of government power over its citizens. Attica Prison and its 1971 riot took on an important symbolic meaning in a growing movement demanding prison reform. And even the government eventually listened. In 1976, New York Governor Hugh Carey announced pardons for every Attica prisoner in cases related to the riots. In 2000, a class action suit representing former Attica prisoners won $12 million from the state. The locked A-tunnel doors that set off the riot were simply closed because of a scheduling misunderstanding, investigations into the case eventually revealed. But those doors, closed by chance on September 9, 1971, were the spark that set off a heap of kindling so high it was burying America's prisoners alive. For more information on the crimes surrounding 1970's prison reform movement, check out the Patty Hearst episodes of Female Criminals, as well as the Cults episode on Donald DeFreeze and the SLA. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime is written by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.